Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome. Uh, it's Friday. It's almost the weekend. TGIF? No, TGIB. Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app is up here with me, Kanoa Leahy. We're coming to you from the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Josh Pacheco is working the board. Let's go ahead and throw out the number already because uh, we are hoping to have a little time uh, to take some calls if you have any questions or comments uh, here as we approach the sports weekend. 808-296-1420 is the number. Text any of your questions or comments via the Zephyr Insurance text line as well. So we just heard the Sports Center update, and I'm not exactly sure how a fracture to rib cartilage can be good news for any player, but certainly for your franchise quarterback, as is the case with the LA Chargers, uh, Justin Herbert. Uh, but uh, yeah, that is an injury that, while it is based a little bit more on pain threshold and tolerance, which opens the door maybe for a quicker or more expedited return, or, or, or maybe even avoids uh, having to sit out uh, for any kind of period of time. It is not something that goes away. And the timing of this story uh, really is helped along here by the fact that Brian McInnes is in the house and you may have a similar type of injury, right? Well, yeah, man, it's great to be here on uh, Friday as usual. <laughs> and what an uplifting topic to begin the show. Here we go. Chronic Coming out injuries. swinging. Uh, You're no. our cartilage guy. I mean, that's sort of how it, how it breaks down, you know? No, I mean, I, I uh, yeah, we were just kind of, you know, riffing about this before the show, and I, I've i had, like, a, you know, kind of cartilage rib injury sore spot on one side from, like, my early 30s, like, eight years ago that just hasn't quite healed. Uh, so I have no idea if it's a similar kind of situation, but I do feel this pain. How, how'd you get the injury? Are you Probably paying pickup hoops. <laughs> And a former Star Advertiser colleague who will go unmentioned <laughs> may have caught me oh, between come the on. ribs. You can't say the name. <laughs> Should we? We can throw out some names. No, all right, okay. Uh, blink once if it's the right. No, okay. Uh, yeah, no. Those based on a lot of players that I've talked to. You know, granted, maybe some other positions uh, that these players were were playing. Like I think Rob Ninkovich even mentioned uh, the linebacker, uh, former NFL linebacker with the New England Patriots, said that he had a cartilage uh, injury in his ribs. And said that that thing just like lingered and lingered and lingered and did not go away and so yeah it's about pain threshold and I guess that's better than a fractured actual rib uh, as far as the time that you have to sit out uh, but I think for a guy who you know quarterbacks it's all about comfort it's all about security feeling like you're comfortable back there I, that that to me is something that while maybe it's better news than what could have been the injury that's uh that's that's not necessarily something that's overly encouraging especially this early in a football season no for sure not and even if something that you would take for granted is how you sleep uh it could very well alter a, a guy's normal sleep position or sleep hmm. rhythms and pattern and that had, can all have all kinds of you know cascading effects on his mental state and readiness level so i'm speaking speaking from personal experience by the way no that's actually a really good point i mean it's all about for especially with what we know uh, as far as recovery time you know the the physical and, and mental recovery for professional athletes the sleep thing is like this massive thing like they've done all kinds of studies they have uh, talking about leagues and teams have dedicated all kinds of resources to trying to figure out the importance of sleep how much sleep is beneficial 
beneficial, how, how much is optimal. And so, yeah, if it affects the ability of your star quarterback to get the kind of rest that is necessary for him to perform at his best, uh, that is also something that can uh, have an impact. And while that's getting a little granular, perhaps, for some uh, tastes out there, uh, I think that that's a legit question. And so we'll see how this impacts uh, this guy, Justin Herbert, going forward. He's an absolute stud, by the way. Uh, he is a mutant. There's no doubt about it. It's just so funny. Like, Patrick Mahomes is so established as this, you know, badass quarterback, right? And he just kind of lit the league on fire. He's already got a Super Bowl. Uh, and it's funny because Justin Herbert gets close to beating him. You had Josh Allen in past iterations that got close to beating him. And it's funny how coming out of those losses, it's almost as if people were praising Josh Allen and Justin Herbert yep, more they were. than the winning quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. That, that's that's kind of funny. That's, that's weird how we do that sometimes. Well, in the, in the latter case with Josh Allen of the playoffs last year, Bill's Chiefs all-time classic of a yeah. of a second round playoff game. I mean, you could make the argument that the game was decided on the coin flip in overtime. I mean, <laughs> that's true. It, granted, I grant you as as a recent comer to Bills fandom, you know, that 13-second window at the end of regulation where Mahomes uncorks some magic and gets them down the field in time to tie the game, put the Bills in the situation where they sure, could lose sure. on a coin flip, but I'm going with the coin flip uh, <laughs> excuse. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, and these guys are are the elite class, right? I mean, you can still throw Aaron Rodgers in there, obviously, uh, even though he's not working necessarily with the uh, most ideal array of receiving talent at the moment. You know, Tom Brady would be up for debate if he's still sort of part of that crew. But I think, you know, you throw Lamar Jackson, like these kind of freaks of nature, like these guys that have cannons attached to their shoulders and they're just huge and they're fearless. And Or, or in the case of Lamar Jackson is just like this crazy Michael Vick-like, but maybe even 2.0 version athlete uh, in uh, addition to his ability to throw the ball like a billion yards down the field. Like These guys are just absolute freaks, uh, and I think it's just funny how we're at that stage now of professional football. Uh, the, the quarterback position has evolved to this point where it is just ridiculous. If you can get one of these kind of guys, then that opens a window perhaps to contend uh, that's, you know, in the double-digit years long, right? You're talking about decade or longer, and I think that's why they're so coveted. And then that's why, right, the, the sort of other byproduct of it is that you have a guy who is, in many ways, at least certainly through his collegiate career, a proven commodity uh, and was always deemed as sort of a can't-miss guy, like a Tua Tongo-Vailoa, perhaps, uh, where by comparison, it's like all of a sudden he's opened to criticism because there there is the initial appearance that he isn't one of those freak of nature type of guys and it's just it's funny the dichotomy that's presented uh, here at this uh, this age of football poor Tua he just can't I mean just can't catch a break can't catch a break man but uh, you know I mean it's all about winning winning games at the end and uh, so far uh, the Dolphins are 1-0 there you go that's what it's all about 808-296-1420 is the number we have Sean uh, on the line is it uh, do we have a caller or is that an old uh, an old note that's on the screen here over here. All right, fantastic. All right, no, Sean. Well, we were, we were looking forward to talking to you there, Sean. Uh, but that opens up the door for us to uh, talk about a game that you covered last night. This is a pretty big win uh, for Bud Nagamine and the Rainbow Wahine soccer program last night. You were there. Uh, it was a 1-0 victory, and it got Bud jumping up and down <laughs> at the end of the match. That's not necessarily the kind of – I mean, she's always animated, and she has an, a, a very outgoing personality. But that's not necessarily the kind of celebration you tend to see from uh, a head coach. Uh, take us through uh, that match for Rainbow Wahine soccer last night. Yeah, hashtag Air Bud. 
That, that, yeah. was, the, uh, that was the movement after the game. But, uh, no, it was a very crucial win for them. Uh, every conference game in the Big West is so crucial for them toward qualification to the conference tournament, which UH Soccer has made exactly one time today. That was in 2019. And the thing they did that year was win their conference opening game at home, which they replicated last night. So uh, they just got to finish in the top six this year. Now it's a little more lenient than it used to be top six instead of top four. Uh, two more teams in the conference with UC San Diego and Cal State Bakersfield competing now. So uh, coaches voted to expand the field, but you still want to get off to the best possible start you can, especially at home. You just can't give away those home matches in, in uh, college soccer. So uh, credit to the UH forwards for putting together an awesome counterattack in the 74th, 75th minute. Uh, Kelsey Sumita, the Moanalua mm-hmm. high alumna, she puts in the goal into the back, right inside the back post from uh, Amber Gilbert, the Mililani product, <laughs> uh, second-year freshman. She's turned a lot of heads so far this year. 5-1, but is, is a blur out there, even after a couple of ACL recovery uh, rehab. So, um, And uh, Krista Peterson set up the whole thing with a long ball downfield. It was a lightning-fast counterattack. Davis had been in the attacking third on the other end of the field for like seemingly 10, 15 minutes. So uh, UH will definitely take it, and they're off to, I believe, Santa Barbara and Cal Poly next week. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, at UCSB, at Cal Poly. So they're going to the Central Coast. Uh, they're now 4-2 and two here. They get off to the 1-0 start in conference play. They have won four of their last five. What can we now start to say, you think, about this Rainbow Wahine soccer team, in your opinion? Well, they honestly didn't have much of an identity coming into this year. They had a, I believe, like 2-9-2 and two season last year. They did win their last couple of conference games after taking a ton of close losses. Um, there was a little, yeah, like I said, elements of unknown. And I, I think even the players kind of acknowledged Amber Gilbert the other day talking to us media types that they they didn't really expect a whole lot of themselves, which I thought was a pretty telling uh, you know, thing to say, uh, they, they've surprised themselves with getting a result or two on the road. They'd won at Portland State right before this. Granted, not a soccer powerhouse, but any road win is in soccer, college soccer, you take. And so uh, to open conference play like this, getting the three points in the conference standings, um, you, you got to tip your cap, even though, you know, that was a game that Davis could have easily uh, tied or, or perhaps even won if they were a little more on target. But that's not an easy trip for them to take out here. And conversely, uh, the Wikinay are going to have to go through the same thing. That That's why their winning percentage on the road over the years has just not been great in part because for whatever reason, soccer winning on the road in soccer is probably one of the more difficult difficult sports to accomplish just from the fatigue factor i think yeah that's interesting you're you're right about that i think uh, i think the numbers would would prove and bear that out as well a good win obviously a homecoming week little activity in manoa here going on this weekend uh, you could say with the rainbow wahine volleyball team holding its alumni match event uh, here this evening followed by the green and white uh, intra squad game uh, so that's going down at simplified arena at stan sheriff center this evening you got hawaii versus Duquesne, homecoming game for the UH football team, still seeking win number one in the Timmy Chang era. Timmy Chang, at least in some discussions that uh, I've had uh, with him this week, has referred to this, uh, and this is a term that's thrown out often, but I think he really feels this. He, he feels like this is a must win. Like, it's time for this team to get a W. It's time for this team to get their new head coach, first-year head coach, a W. Do you agree with that assessment in that all too common used term of must-win game, do you think it applies here? Yeah, I really do. I'm, I'm not one who tosses that term around 
often or lightly, I, I would like to think, um, because you do hear it so often. But um, I think before the season started, we had all kind of penciled in, hey, there is a distinct possibility UH will be 0-3 after their first yeah. three if they can't beat Vanderbilt at home, which, you know, turned out to be decidedly <laughs> not. The other way. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Western Kentucky, I think we all knew was a, a potent enough team. So, yeah, I think we'd all kind of marked this Duquesne game as, hey, look, this is where UH can get on the board. This is where they can at least start to feel a little good about themselves a game or two up before Mountain West play. So, you know, if you look at it the other, the other way, UH has at New Mexico State after this, which is, you know, not a very good team, but that is a tough road trip to to get there, to play in that that climate. So, uh, yeah, all intents and purposes, I would say they got to take care of business this weekend. Yeah, I think it, it, it's time. Now, easier said than done. Uh, just because it is Duquesne and it's an FCS opponent, that does not mean right. that that automatically means a victory for Hawaii. I don't think that's going to be the case here this season. It's just not that kind of team here in this 2022 campaign where they can waltz out onto the field and expect and then log victory. They're going to have to play well. Uh, they are going with Joey Yellen for the third straight game. Braden Shager uh, is at least said to be still a little banged up, but available to play. So it'll be interesting if Yellen runs into any kind of adversity, uh, just what kind of hook they may have on him. But the hope is obviously that they can open up the passing game a little bit more, that that passing game can catch up with the running game. They now have like three or four dudes in this running back stable that I think have proven themselves worthy of some trust out mm -hmm. there, uh, depending on the circumstances and the package that they're rolling with. Now it's time for the passing game to sort of catch up with that. Hawaii has attempted a lot of passes, still no throwing touchdowns yep. as of yet this season through three games. And so that's kind of the next step. Can the passing game help to sustain drives, get them into the end zone? And then it's a matter of can they do that with consistency? And then I think you start talking about, okay, maybe this offense begins to resemble what Ian Shoemaker, the offensive coordinator and play caller, what he envisions it to be. Wait, what his offense depicts out there. I don't think it's quite there, and that probably in many ways uh, impacts or affects how he can play call throughout four quarters. Kano, I'm trying to remember, like, what is their longest passing play of the season? It's like 30 yards, something it's, it's like that? Somewhere in, in that range. I, I think all three of their throws over 20 yards or, or, or all three of their um, throws over a certain minimum yardage were by Braden Shager as well, which is interesting uh, yeah. to go along with. So that. I would like to see them, you know, take and complete some kind of deep shot in this Duquesne game to, to at least let opponents know, hey, there is a threat of us pulling off that kind of play when and maybe that'll in turn open up things for a guy like Jordan Murray who I've you know continually mentioned as a guy ready for like kind of a breakout performance and uh, as well as the running game as you reference Kanoa I mean they've got three or four guys uh, Najee Bryant Lali and and uh, of course Dedrick Parson and then Tylen Hines had that that breakout uh, 54 55 yard rushing uh, touchdown in, in the game at Michigan so uh, maybe things will get easier for them if UH can can show more of that balance and and shoot. Maybe this is the opponent for them to. 
do it against them. All right. Well, the last opponent was the University of Michigan. It was a game that was broadcast on the Big Ten Network. And making his Big Ten Network debut as the color analyst was former Michigan standout tight end, one of the best tight ends in uh, college football in recent times, Jake Butt. Parlayed that to uh, a stint with the Denver Broncos. I think he may have been with the Bears for a short time as well. But it was his debut, and there was an interesting back and forth that was created really during the game uh, because the broadcast team uh, continually referred to the Hawaii players as Hawaiian players. And, of course, anybody that is familiar with Hawaiian culture knows that there is a distinction. Unlike other places across the United States, there is a distinction between being Hawaiian and being a Hawaii resident. And that was not necessarily something that Jake fully initially understood. And I I think for fair reason for anybody that's not so familiar with it. Uh, But to his credit, uh, it was something that was being talked about on Twitter. He made a comment uh, in response to something that you posted. And then you guys started a little back and forth that continued and and, and created kind of a a, a really uh, constructive dialogue. Uh, yeah, no, I, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, I, I, I had been listening to the broadcast just like anybody else on the Big Town Network. And yeah, uh, Jake and his broadcast partner, you know, had not picked up on that distinction ahead of time. Uh, it, it sounded like, you know, Jake did, uh, in speaking to him, a good amount of homework on how to pronounce individual players' names uh, about the culture. He spoke to Timmy Chang and, you know, the, the brotherhood and all the, the things that they're trying to accomplish in in the uh, Timmy's first year, uh, but that you know, just from a pure broadcast perspective, and and the correct uh, language and terminology to use was not something that was picked up, and I, I don't think they are alone in terms of mainland broadcast teams that that just goes right over their heads, right? The Hawaiian versus Hawaii yeah. resident or Hawaii native distinction. Uh, you hear it maybe on like the CBS Sports Network or uh, you know just what have you uh, mainland broadcast that picks up UH on the mainland, so. Uh, he was very proactive about wanting to make it right. It was a great conversation that I had with him. Uh, he indicated that he may be willing to join us today. Uh, so we're maybe hoping to get him on here in a little while. Uh, yeah. That would be great. That's the plan, right? Uh, on the other side of this break, we are hoping to uh, get in touch with Jake Butt, a standout tight end in his playing days, now embarking on a broadcast career, and I think very gracious maneuver on his part and gesture to be willing to join us. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to link up and, and we can kind of uh, continue that conversation and talk a little bit about his thoughts on the the, the kind of showing that Hawaii made uh, up there in Ann Arbor in front of 110,000 people at the big house. So that's the plan here on the other side of this timeout. I got Brian McInnes on this TGIB edition of Let's Talk Sports. You can catch his work at the Spectrum News app. Jake Butt to join us on the other side. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It's Friday. We're coming to you from the PAXA studios in Honolulu for this edition of Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy. Being joined up here in the studio by my man Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app. I'm very excited to welcome via the phone line uh, our next guest. Uh, he was making his Big Ten Network debut for the Hawaii-Michigan broadcast this past weekend. And something very interesting came out of that. Uh, it was actually a back and forth that, that occurred on social media uh, between the color analyst making his debut, Jake Butt, former tight end great for the University of Michigan, played with the Denver Broncos, spent some time with the Chicago Bears, I believe it was, as well in the NFL, before now embarking into this next stage of his professional career as a broadcaster. And my man, Brian McInnes, uh, because there were a few times throughout the broadcast that the broadcast team had referred to the Hawaii players as Hawaiians. And 
obviously anybody that's grown up here, if, if there is a familiarity with here, uh, there is a, a, a distinguishing and, and a, a, a line of delineation between a resident of Hawaii and someone who is a member of the native Hawaiian uh, culture. And, and so uh, to his credit, Jake has decided to uh, and has agreed to talk with us here via the phone line. And so we welcome him now to the show. Jake, how are you doing? Hey guys, doing good, doing good. Hell of an intro. Uh, appreciate you having me on and uh, excited to talk shop with you guys. Yeah, well, let's just start there because, again, I think it really showed a lot of character on your part to sort of hear some of the response that, that some people from Hawaii had uh, over social media. You were, you were privy to it, uh, you responded to it, and then that created what I thought was a pretty healthy, uh, engaging, and constructive dialogue with my man Brian over here uh, and, and created a little further understanding, which is always a good thing here in society uh yeah certainly i mean so that was my first game um actually call i called a spring game a couple spring games actually but that was my first like actual game so um for the people that don't know there's a lot that goes into those <laughs> broadcasts man you're not just up there hanging out um you know just smiling and, and talking about whatever there's preparation um you know you got you have your your uh, partner for me i was the color um, so I had my play-by-play um, colleague in my ear. And then you also have the producer as well as the director. You're watching the game. You also have your little monitor down there. So there's a lot that goes on. It's super fa- fast pace. On top of that, you're trying to see the numbers of what guys are wearing down on the field. Go back and check and make sure you have the names right. Obviously, <laughs> a lot of unique names for the Hawaii football team, but um, so I guess I say that to say this, there's a lot that's going on, a lot to think about, and that one certainly slipped my mind, but it was brought to my attention. And, you know, one of the main things I always wanted to do is just knowing how my parents approached it is making sure I'm getting names pronounced mm-hmm. correctly because that's a sense of pride, you know. And, you know, for some families, hey, they come to the game, they're going to go watch their son play and, and take the field, but most of the time the parents are going to go home and, and re-watch the, the TV version of it. They want to hear their last name called. They want to hear their son's name called properly or the coach's name called properly. So that was a big point of it. But alongside that line is making sure you're respect, respecting culture. And my big takeaway talking to Coach Chang and um, anyone involved with the Hawaii football team was how important the island and the culture was. And I missed the mark on that one but have been educated about it um, could just ask for the grace of uh, the Hawaiian natives to to let me have the opportunity to correct it going forward when I do get the chance. Well, I think that's really classy of you to to say that, and and certainly to agree to to talk with us here on this show. And and I also think all things considered, with regard to the names, which are very difficult, especially if this is your first official game oh, uh, yeah. in the broadcasting yeah. career, uh, you did a pretty good job in the understanding of the whole brotherhood motto and that concept. Uh, yeah, I I think that that should also be stated uh, because. Um, because because that isn't the easiest type of game to go into, man. Totally. Totally. Yeah, no, and then that's, you know, listen, going into that game, we, we knew Michigan was at a different point in their development as a, as a program than Hawaii. And that's, that's okay, you know, is, is you just are where you are. When I first got to Michigan, you know, we were in a point of transition. My first two years there, we were, I was seven and six. They were uh, then my next year. They were five and seven. So we dealt with some coaching turnover and some adversity, and that's tough, you know. But 
what what it can allow you to do is it, it see it allows you to see clear the guys that you can count on. You know the guys that actually care about the team and care about winning. You know during the toughest times, that's what is revealed. So in a sense, if you could just be patient with your with your head coach and with this program, and we could get into that as well. Is I just think he's such a great leader, and in listening to him talk, he clearly loves the university and loves the football team as a whole, but. Even though there is some tough times, sometimes it's those tough times that act as like a trampoline or a springboard that propel you back to something greater. Hey, Jake, it's Brian. Good to hear from you again. Uh, hey, Brian. Hey, I, you know, I don't know if people realize this, like just the way the timing of you know, how things played out and, and you had paid attention to social media, I think, by halftime of that Hawaii-Michigan game, and you actually acknowledged – the situation between the Hawaii and the Hawaiian thing on social media at halftime, how difficult of an adjustment was that to make midstream of a broadcast? Your, as we said, your first broadcast ever for that second half. Well, I mean, it was, it was difficult. And I, I really, I don't think I was even perfect in the second half because so that, that was brought to my attention. But then from there you have to figure out, well, who actually is Hawaiian and who just is part of the Hawaii defense. So I, it'd be something that going forward, as I look at my chart, would probably make a note, you know, put a, I don't know, maybe draw a little rainbow or something by their name, you know, just to, just to signify, hey, this, this person is actually Hawaiian, where the rest of them are just part of, you know, the Hawaii defense. So it, it's, just a, it's just a note going forward. But, again, it's, you know, even though I say we have a lot going on up there in the booth, it is our job, and part of our job is to, to be respectful to both teams and to the staff and to the players. That certainly falls under that uh, job requirement. Jake, how, how did you know, just to you know, give people some background on your career, I, I know your, your NFL days weren't as lengthy as, as you definitely would have wanted, but um, how, how did you really kind of become attuned to the broadcast scene and, and know that you wanted to do this for a living now? I, I actually didn't, you know. So I, I uh, for the people that don't know, I played four years at the University of Michigan. I was a two-time All-American. I won the Mackey Award for the nation's top tight end. I could have left after my junior season and probably, you know, was slotted as like a first, second-round pick. I took out an insurance uh, settlement on my body. And, and to do that, they, they do a mock draft. They had me slotted as about the 35th pick. So I said, hey, I want to come back my senior year. I, I'm from Columbus. I wanted to beat Ohio State. I had a chance to, to break some career records at the University of Michigan, which with that rich history, be, it was just a big thing to have an opportunity to get up there and you know, have my name in the history books. And then lastly, I wanted to be elected captain. It's, you couldn't do it until you're a senior there in Michigan. So that, that, and I ended up you know, checking off a lot of those boxes, and captain was the, the greatest honor. But you know, I tear my ACL in the bowl game. That was my second time tearing it. And was, I'm part of that big – part of the reason now why guys are sitting out of, of bowl games, you know, myself and Jalen Smith. Um, so I tore it there. Get to the NFL. I tore. I rehabbed that for about a year and a half. I come back. I'm starting. I'm playing great ball for the Broncos, and then I tore my ACL again. That was my third time, and wow. then I got cleared from that. Two days later, retore my meniscus, and then I'm, you know, buried on the depth chart at this point. They drafted two guy, two tight ends. They brought one in free agency. I was like sixth or seventh tight end on the depth chart. 
against all odds. I made the team. I actually became the number two tight end. I was out there with Noah Fant. And then I dislocate both my knuckles, pull my hamstring. I, just looking at my NFL career, man, I was just beat, beat up, beat up, beat up. And I never dealt with an injury in my life. So, you know, you kind of go through this period of – there was times where I literally dropped to my knees and I looked up to the sky and I was just like, why? You know, I just couldn't believe it. I felt I was doing everything right. I just could not believe it. Um, but, it, again, just – similar even to the Hawaii program, just looking at life as a whole is when you're going through some tough things, man, I just firmly believe that it's preparing you for something, something else, something bigger, something greater. It's this constant process of life. So as I'm sitting there, not this past fall, but the previous fall, um, a Michigan beat writer, Isaiah Hole said, Hey, do you want to come on my podcast? (laughs) I do a preview and a review of Michigan football. So each week, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was interviewing with some companies, trying some things out. But I would do that preview review. It was about an hour show, and I did some preparation going into it. So I did like a self-audit around December, and I said, hey, you know, what, what, what made me happy this fall? What did I like? Well, the best week, the best part of my week was when I got to go in there and talk football and preview the game, and I got to go in there and analyze the film and review the game. So I was like, hey, man, this might be something I could do. Started going on radio shows like this. I was asked to call the spring game, the Michigan spring game. Originally, again, I didn't think this is something I wanted to do. I was going to go to a wedding. One of my good friends was getting married. So I told the Big Ten Network, I'm like, hey, I can't, I can't do this. I got a wedding. I ended up sitting on it, sitting on it. I'm like, you know what? Let me just call this spring game. And if I hate it, that's as valuable as if I love it. If I, that way I can cross it off. But if nothing else, I won't know until I try. So I got the blessing from one of my good friends. He said, man, don't worry about the wedding. Go out there and figure this out. I had an awesome time, man. I had such a great time. I enjoyed it. It's about as close as you can get to playing um, as anything I've experienced. It's fast-paced. It's stimulating. And it went well enough where the Big Ten offered me a job. And from there, you know, this has been my first fall. I do... I do some studio shows with them. I do uh, some studio shows with another network. And then I've been calling games. The Hawaii-Michigan game was my first game this fall, and we'll we'll end up calling 10 games in total. So it's just funny to look at. There was a period in my life where I was so uncertain, didn't know where, what direction I was going to go in or where life was going to take me. But I feel very, very lucky now to have some type of direction and, and to be doing something that I really enjoy. Well, that is a tremendous story, and, and we absolutely wish you the very best uh, going forward. You did sort of touch a little bit on uh, Timmy Chang and, and your impressions of, of him as a first-year head coach for this program that is, frankly, in a state of rebuild. And I just wanted to, to see if you'd be willing to expand just a, a little bit further. We have a couple minutes left here. Uh, a little bit further on your impressions of University of Hawaii football in its current form. Oh, yeah, totally. So... You know, the one thing about this is, is football is such a hard sport, right? So you got to have a coach that knows X's and O's. And, and Timmy Chang is, is decorated, not just at Hawaii, but in, in, the, in the totality of college football. He's a well-known top-level quarterback. So he's got the X's and O's down pat. But what I found really, really interesting was when we interviewed him for the first 15 minutes, he didn't talk about football one time in our interview just understanding, hey, especially with the perspective of the previous coaching staff, you know, and, and the, the trust of the players have been broken. 
talked about, you know, making sure that he loves those guys and the players know that, that, that he's got their back and that they should trust him. You know, bringing in coaches that understand the island and the culture. You know, looking at it is Timmy had the chance to go to the mainland. He could have he could have went to the Continental 48 and played football, and his own dad wanted to. His own dad encouraged him said, hey, Timmy, the opportunity is there. And he said, no, 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 Dad, the opportunity is here on this island. So looking forward, that's going to be the same vision he's going to sell to recruits because the the state of Hawaii has produced some good football players. Let's not let's not forget about that. There's some <laughs> good talent out there, and going forward, you're going to have to try to keep some of that talent home to build this program out. But just looking at everything they lost to the transfer portal, there's not a team in the country that could lose that much production, that much leadership, that much game experience, and expect to be a dominant force the following year. It doesn't matter who you are. But for a team like Hawaii, that was just too much for them to lose. Well, you know what? It's going to take some time for them to get back going again. But everything I just said, what better person to lead this program forward than your former all-time great quarterback in Timmy Chang? Good stuff. Hey, uh, Jake, we really appreciate it, man. You seem like a really good dude, and uh, thanks for, for being so generous with your time and, and calling into our show. Uh, and best of luck uh, in your new broadcasting career. We'll be following you. All right, thanks, guys. Anytime, seriously. Appreciate you letting me uh, bringing me on. Let me uh, chop it up with you. You got it. You got it. You take thanks, care. Jake. All right, take care. Jake Butt, uh, who was top-of-the-line tight end coming out of the University of Michigan, uh, ultimately drafted in his senior year by the Denver Broncos. Uh, he did sign with the Bears for a very short period of time before he officially uh, retired but didn't actually uh, play uh, for Chicago. But, yeah, I mean, the way he went over his playing career and just how disappointing that must have been and some of the questions, self-doubt, uncertainty about his future that he must have experienced. He put it into a very Cliff's Notes version there. Uh, but I think you have to be able to speculate that there must have been times where he just felt like, you know, why me? What else could happen? Can I catch a break? Uh, and so for him to be able to reestablish some sense of self and perspective and now venture into this broadcasting field, uh, He's easier to root for based on what he's been through. That's for sure. I mean, the dude's a natural talker. <laughs> he can tell. And he's he, unlike some of us that work yeah, in TV. He also has the looks for TV, oh, so that's working in his favor too. Uh, <laughs> hey, being able to tell a concise but detailed, interesting story like the way he did for us a couple minutes ago. I mean, that is the hallmark of a sure. good color commentator on a broadcast, right? Sure, sure. He just, you know, ran into a, a bit of a, an area of sensitivity for some people who live here uh, in the islands and just needed some clarification there. And I think what was, uh, to me, very impressive is that he was willing to face that, uh, willing to confront that, willing to learn, uh, which is a really great thing. Uh, if more people were so willing here in this day and age and in this world in which we live, uh, I think we'd be all the better off. Uh, all right, it is time for us to take a long overdue break. Break. Follow us on our social media platforms for the scoring live and ESPN Honolulu scoreboard. Get the final score of every prep football game Friday and Saturday nights. The scoreboard is made possible by BMW of Honolulu and Ron D. Solar Services. We'll be back. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. That was really cool. Uh, Jake Butt in that last segment 
now a color analyst with the Big Ten Network, made his debut, basically. Uh, first official game broadcast on that Michigan-Hawaii uh, game this past weekend. And uh, it was really cool that he would make time to, to call in to us. Uh, that dude was big time, as, as he alluded to. He was he was the bleep in college. He was the man, the considered by many the top tight end. Uh, and so uh, his pro career didn't go the way because of injuries and, and other uh, issues the way he wanted to. And, and now he is parlaying that into a broadcast career and as we sort of alluded to uh, easy guy to root for and so we wish him the best all right we uh, like to dip into our bucket of questions here at this time of the show but the interview went a little long so there are a couple of headlines maybe we'll bring up here before uh, we toss it to another break but uh, one of them is the, the this campaign that seems to be being put on here by players in the NBA, including the NBA Players Association itself, that is calling for a ban of Phoenix Suns majority owner Robert Sarver, who, if you were following the news here this week, uh, was fined $10 million and was given a one-year suspension by the league uh, after an investigation showed that he had repeatedly made racist and misogynistic remarks uh, throughout a period of time. Uh, And so the... Punishment was announced, and for many players like LeBron James, like Chris Paul, uh, many players who have been around that have influence, certainly public influence, uh, it was not good enough. And so there has been now, in essentially, a de facto campaign being put on to ban Sarver for life. What are your uh, impressions of that? Man, I think back to a year or two ago when uh, Baxter Holmes of ESPN did the breaking story about all these uh, faux pas and, and, you know, mistakes, uh, by Robert Sarver, the, the son's owner with employees, with, uh, players on the team, uh, just kind of saying, uh, things and one word in particular, uh, that he should not under any circumstances. And, uh, I remember thinking, man, it's definitely going to catch up to this guy at some point, you know, NBA is going to launch its own investigation. Uh, sometimes these things take time and, now, apparently, that has played out. Um, but as you said, Kanoa, LeBron, and Chris Paul, the, the latter of whom is a member of the Phoenix Suns, yeah. uh, came out with some you know, pretty sharply worded criticism about the kind of toothless response by the NBA and uh, this one-year suspension. Even one of the Phoenix Suns uh, minority franchise owners Correct. came out saying that, hey, he should be gone. Yeah. And I, I don't – this. Uh, minority owner said, I don't want the majority position that he has, but he needs to be gone. I will just figure it out from there. Yeah. And, and so Adam Silver, commissioner for the NBA, in his announcement, said that this investigation was done uh, by a private entity. Uh, and so the uh, evidence that was discovered, he said, didn't necessarily meet what he concluded was the um, what was the standard by which he could then justifiably ban Sarver for life. He, he felt like he could not remove him as owner under the, uh, the findings of this investigation. And, and, and so that was the, the corner that he was sort of painted into. Uh, but you have the Players Association that's hoping that he changes his mind. From what I understand, the $10 million is like a maximum uh, fine that can be levied on owner or front office members. Uh, the one-year suspension is something that could maybe move, uh, and maybe he has more latitude on that. But this is going to be interesting to see how it plays out because I would say the one major difference between this and the Donald Sterling situation with the Clippers is you had 
audio and in some cases video evidence with some of his racial and misogynistic transgressions, right? Uh, you had perhaps even more of a laundry list uh, of 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 transgressions more egregious levels perhaps of things that were done over a longer period of time including as a property owner and a landlord uh, and so maybe that situation was um a little bit more tenuous in, in that regard. That said, uh, that was precedent, though, with this kind of an issue with an owner in the NBA uh, that maybe this kind of campaign could convince Adam Silver to give further thought to. Man, it's an interesting contrast or comparison because that, if my uh, memory serves me correctly, Adam Silver had only just recently stepped into the role of commissioner of the NBA, succeeding David Stern. And that was kind of his big front and center moment of him stepping to the podium. And I remember that clip specifically of him saying Donald Sterling is banned for life, um, like with this visceral, mm -hmm. like, you know, emotion behind it. And the players like standing up and applauding uh, Adam Silver for being very uh, proactive uh, on that response. Um, so now, yeah, you got this Sarver situation where, yes, there had been some rumbling behind the scenes, but I guess nowhere near the accumulation of things that that uh, Donald Sterling had, you know, had been alleged to have done yeah, over the years. That was that seemed much more systemic in nature uh, over the course of a longer period of time when with regard to Donald Sterling. But, you know, this is a different day and age, even just a few years fast forwarded. And so that this is touching upon things that are similar or that have parallels to that case. And if you're gonna have this kind of kickback, I think, uh, when it comes to your decisions that you've made, you're gonna have this kind of response from the juggernauts of your league um this might be something that's unavoidable long term really if you're adam silver like how much do you push against that uh moving forward that's a tough position to be just optically to be sort of in the defense of bringing this guy sarver back into the fold but obviously the legality of it is what will take precedent all right we got to take a break when we come back let's do our best and worst we got bmac brian mckinnis of the spectrum news app up in the house let's talk sports What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy up here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu with Brian McInnes of the Spectrum News app. Josh Pacheco working the board. We appreciate his efforts there. All right. It is our home stretch, our crunch time, fourth quarter segment, which means it's time for our best and worst. What's your best here, Brian McInnes? All right. I finally agreed to watch a show that you and others had recommended to me for the longest time going back to 2019 or something yeah, yeah. Uh, called the boys on the boys amazon prime and uh i'm already one season through like i'm on season two and um it, it's it, for anyone who doesn't know it's about a, a team of superheroes and super villains who uh the way it's written and the comedy just kind of subverts the superhero genre in some awesome ways and it's also really violent and uh, kind of explicit. So. <laughs> yes, it is. It is a very unique take on the genre of the superhero story, certainly on screen. Uh, and it is something that will blow your mind, as I, it sounds like it's it's doing right now for you. 
It is, and there are minds being blown on the screen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite so. literally, that's right. Yeah, that's a, it's a good show, man. I'm, I'm glad you're uh, finally getting into it. All right, my best is they've been posting all over social media Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, James Worthy, Pat Riley is over there. It's like this big Showtime Laker reunion that's taking place on the island of Maui. It looked like they may have been at like the Four Seasons or something for an event. They were hooping it up, it looked like, in Lahaina Civic Center. It was really, really cool to see. Um, I'm wondering if that Laker team could actually possibly hang with or beat the current Laker team, uh, which um, is going through some struggles, I'd say. I'd take Kareem right now over Dennis Schroeder. <laughs> yeah, they just signed Dennis Schroeder to go along with the backcourt that already includes Pat Beverly and Russell Westbrook. Like, Let's get like three of the guys who are reputed to be the biggest malcontents and uh, just put them in one point guard room. Let's do it. Uh, I, that team is going to be such a just delightful train wreck. <laughs> I can't wait. All right. Um, that could be a worst right there. What is your worst? Uh, my worst is the fact that Kahuku is going up to play, you know, the pretty much consensus number one team in the country, St. John Bosco in California tomorrow. It's a Saturday game. And they unfortunately still do not have their dynamic playmaker, reigning offensive player of the year, Kai Kai Carvalho, uh, their receiver, kicker, return, kick, punt returner, kick returner extraordinaire available for the game. He's, he's still working his way back from an ankle injury, unfortunately. So it would have been great to see what he could do against that kind of talent on the other side of the field, alas. Yeah, yeah. No, that's unfortunate. Like, I've always lamented in these situations oftentimes it's just like the Hawaii teams weren't necessarily at their best uh, when they were in these matchups, and you hope that that Koku was a little bit more fully powered. Uh, I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to add one more best because this story was just too good. Jalen Watson uh, was a JUCO star player, committed to USC in 2019, had some academic issues. He was out of football, worked at a Wendy's while he got his grades up. Then he enrolled at Washington State, was drafted in the seventh round uh, by the Chiefs in this past draft, and uh, last night he makes a 99-yard game-changing pick six against the Chargers for the Chiefs. That's uh, that's pretty fantastic right there, if you ask me. Uh, I do want to uh, thank Brian McInnes for uh, being a part of the show here. Thanks once again to Josh Pacheco as well, and thanks for Jake Butt calling in. Uh, just want to remind everybody, Domino's Pizza is fighting inflation with you this week's special. When you buy two or more items, still only $7.99 when you order online or on the Domino's app. Have a great weekend, everybody.